welcome to Good Medicine Explained. This is episode number 11 for the week of August 16th, 2020. I am your host, Dr. James R. Brown. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my explanations of various health disorders and medical conditions. My goal is to provide you, the listener, with some new insights and knowledge about how our bodies function and then allow you to cultivate a lifestyle that optimizes your personal well-being. So, we are presently in some pretty hot seasonal weather right now. Weather conditions, along with changes and modifications in our lives that the coronavirus pandemic have brought on, makes it challenging for many of us to do some of the good things we used to do for ourselves, principally like exercise. Oh no, Dr. Brown, don't bring that subject up again. Exercise is a subject or topic that many people don't want to discuss, primarily because very few of us enjoy doing it, or very few of us have the time in our lives to accomplish it. But I believe that it's because many people don't fully understand the definition of exercise and what exercise actually does for our bodies. So allow me to take a moment to discuss some of the important elements of exercise. It is my duty to forewarn you that there is a mathematical equation you will have to complete for this episode. So take out a pencil, a paper, and have a calculator handy in case you need to do the math. Now, exercise is defined as a sustained body movement that increases energy expenditure. This is accomplished through a coordinated interaction of ventilation, cardiac output, systemic and pulmonary blood flow, and gas exchange to meet the metabolic demands of working muscles. Exercise should be planned, purposeful, and repeated. My basic admonition to my patients is do 40 minutes of exercise four days a week. Now, in our bodies, as I mentioned, it's a coordination of several different systems. The cardiovascular system during exercise increases blood flow and preferentially routes it to the muscles and away from our gut and kidneys. The cardiovascular system is designed to deliver oxygen and nutrients to muscles and remove the proton equivalents or acid-type compounds that muscles generate and bring them back to the lungs. During exercise, our heart rate, stroke volume are increased and our systemic and pulmonary vascular resistance decreases. There is a common equation in science known as the Fick equation. The Fick equation is basically a mathematical explanation for what's happening to the cardiovascular system. Our oxygen delivery to muscles or oxygen content is equal to 
the cardiac output times the arteriovenous oxygen difference, the difference between oxygen content and arteries versus veins. The cardiac output will increase during exercise, and it actually is what ends up limiting our oxygen delivery and content. The pulmonary circulation, on the other hand, is the other coordinated system. It receives more than 95% of the cardiac output with minimal resistance. During exercise, our peripheral vascular resistance decreases due to an increased cardiac output and distension of our circulation and vessels and dilatation of vessels from nitric oxide is created. The minute ventilation is the time that it takes for us to inhale and exhale air in one minute. In periods of exercise, the minute ventilation can increase by tenfold. Another event happening in the lungs is the increase in alveolar ventilation at the very capillary level, which assists in the elimination of carbon dioxide from the lungs. Carbon dioxide elimination becomes more efficient during exercise as well. Now there's a gold standard of laboratory measure for cardiorespiratory fitness known as the maximum oxygen uptake, or the VO2 max. The maximum oxygen uptake defines a person's functional aerobic capacity. It reflects the maximum ability of a person to take in, transport, and use oxygen. It indirectly determines central factors such as our heart, our lungs, and our blood, and peripheral factors, such as the skeletal muscles. The level of oxygen uptake in the lungs, at which a sustained rise in lactate occurs, is called the lactate threshold. The lactate threshold varies with cardiovascular fitness and is a useful clinical index of fitness. The ventilatory threshold, which is the amount of oxygen we can breathe and the rate at which we can breathe occurs approximately at the same time that our body has reached its lactate threshold. The lactate threshold is considered to be the oxygen level at which pyruvate production exceeds its ability to be metabolized via the Krebs cycle in the mitochondria of skeletal muscle cells. So naturally, exercise is associated with an increase in our serum lactate concentrations. A steady state of metabolic conditions can be preserved and exercise can be sustained for prolonged periods of time when our oxygen utilization is below the lactate threshold. The ceiling or limit of our exercise activity occurs when the ventilatory threshold 
and the lactate threshold happen concurrently. As most of you have heard, our skeletal muscles are composed primarily of two different types of cells. The myocytes that are type 1 are known as the red or slow twitch fibers, which have a high myoglobin protein content. Myoglobin is what binds oxygen in protein cells. These type 1 cells also have a high oxidative enzyme content for producing ATP, the energy fuel source for the cell. And they have a high density of mitochondria where ATP is produced. Therefore, these muscles are fatigue resistant and they're recruited for low level endurance exercises. Now contrasted to type 1, we have type 2 myocytes, which are the white or fast twitch muscle cells. They have lower myoglobin content. They have a high anaerobic, meaning no oxygen or low oxygen state. And their glycolytic capacity is recruited for short-term heavy work. So type 2 fast twitch muscles are primarily for short bursts of power and energy. The mix of type 1 or type 2 fibers a particular person has varies and is genetically determined. The muscle contraction and relaxation itself depends on the hydrolysis of ATP. So the energy sources for skeletal muscles include glycogen, glucose, and free fatty acids. Glycogen is the predominant fuel source for short bouts of exercise. If you go back into your biochemistry, you may have remembered that there are three energy pathways for producing ATP, the phosphocreatinine shuttle, which is active in the initial stages of exercise, the second is called oxidative phosphorylation, which uses intracellular glycogen and free fatty acids in the muscle mitochondria. This is the most efficient source of ATP production. It's also known as the Krebs cycle. The third system for energy production of ATP is called glycolysis. Now, glycolysis is less efficient than oxidative phosphorylation, but it can produce ATP much faster than oxidative phosphorylation. However, the system or pathway is limited by a drop in the pH or the acidity which happens inside of the muscles, which can further inhibit the process. With prolonged exercise, our skeletal muscles can become depleted of their carbohydrate and free fatty acid supply and shift our fuel source to available glucose in our blood or, or free fatty acids or branched chain amino acids that come from breakdown of muscle cells themselves. Of course, breaking down your own muscle tissue for a fuel source is very inefficient. So at this point, 
a majority of you can relax because all the hardcore science has been discussed. Now I want to talk about the different forms of exercise and how they can be used. There are generally four different types of exercise. Number one, we have aerobic or endurance type exercise. Number two, there's strength and resistance type exercise. Number three, there's balance. And number four, there's mobility or flexibility types of exercise. The skill-related components of our fitness include agility, balance, coordination, power, and our reaction time. If you incorporate these into exercise, you can see how they can be utilized for activity. Common types of endurance training exercise include running, swimming, cycling, rowing, and those types of activities. Strength training, of course, is lifting weights or working against your own body resistance, doing calisthenics, that sort of thing. There's another form of exercise known as high-intensity interval training, which is a process of doing endurance training or strength training in intervals of higher intensity and then reverting back to low-intensity intervals. There's another type of exercise training called dynamic flexibility, which includes things like yoga, Pilates, Tai Chi, and Zumba. Some people follow a circuit training type of exercise. This is usually an incorporation of strength and aerobic exercise. Examples of this include CrossFit, Orange Theory, and Boot Camp. And then there is functional fitness training, which is basically training your body for doing activities of daily living. If you happen to live in the mountains or in a place where there's a lot of physical activity. Now, a question I get from a lot of patients is, what about the intensity? Am I fit for exercise? And how do I know when too much is too much? And that's where we utilize certain physiologic measures to help us. We have what's known as the training heart rate or the target heart rate. And this is where that mathematical equation I spoke to you about earlier came in. So have your pencils and papers and calculators because I'm going to give you an equation. The maximal heart rate is a formula using a couple of variables. First, you have to know how old you are, and that's pretty easy for most of us. A simplified version of the target heart rate or training heart rate would be taking 220 and subtracting your age in years. So you don't use 38 and a half years old, you say 38. You use your full actual year. So for 
a 40-year-old person, 220 minus 40 would be 180. So that person's maximal heart rate would be about 180 beats per minute, or their pulse. An even more accurate form of the maximal heart rate is to take 208, subtract from that your age times 0.7. So basically, again, taking the 40-year-old person, you would multiply 40 times 0.7, which equals 28. And so 208 minus 28 equals 180 as well. The metabolic equivalent, or MET, is another term used in exercise. It's an estimate of the amount of exercise intensity based on your oxygen utilization at rest. An oxygen utilization at rest is roughly about one MET, M-E-T. And activity of two METs would require twice the oxygen consumption that you would have at rest. Another measure we use is called the rate of perceived exertion, or RPE. The rate of perceived exertion is a scale based on an individual's perception of how hard they're working out. The most common instrument used for this is called the Borg scale, B-O-R-G. And it has ratings of intensities from about 6 to 20. So depending on which system you use, if you use the perceived exertion scale or the METs or the target heart rate, you can determine a light, moderate, vigorous, or near-maximal exercise intensity. Light exercise is roughly around 30 to 50% of your maximal heart rate. Moderate is about 50 to 60%. Vigorous is somewhere between 70 to 75%, 80%. So you can range and position yourself for activity based on how intense the exercise feels. Another major concern that's come up with the coronavirus pandemic is the use of masks. A face mask for use during exercise is not recommended by the CDC if you're doing high-intensity activities like running. Another problem with the masks is that perspiration or sweat makes it difficult to breathe through the mask, and the moisture can promote bacterial growth in the mask. The recommendation is to seek a lightweight, moisture-wicking fabric. The inner lining or filter pocket should be a cotton or a non-stretch cotton blend fabric. Athletic brands such as Adidas, Reebok, Athleta, 
and Foxy Roxy make some face masks that are recommended for this purpose. Now once you've had a good exercise session, it's important that you practice a cool down period for about 10 to 15 minutes. Cooling down helps to relax the muscles after a lot of heavy exertion and work. It usually includes stretching to improve your flexibility and decrease a risk of injuring your connective tissues. You typically will hold a stretch for about 15 to 20 seconds, one to two reps at a time. You want to stretch both sides of your body equally. Stretching should never be painful, and if it does become painful, you need to reduce the range of stretch you're putting on that region of your body. It's also important to always breathe during your stretching exercises. It helps your body to return to a relaxed state and it deepens the stretch to the muscle. Lastly, I want to mention or make a comment about fatigue. Fatigue has both a central, meaning heart, lung, and other tissue, and peripheral components. The peripheral components would be your skeletal muscle. Peripheral fatigue depends upon the intensity and the duration of exercise, and it's influenced by the accumulation of metabolic products, the depletion of high-energy phosphates, and the depletion of glycogen supplies. The increase of intracellular lactate, which is an acid which lowers the pH in the cell, and the loss of potassium are also associated with this uh, peripheral fatigue. As physical conditioning and endurance training continue, they're associated with a diminished amount of ammonia and lactate collection in muscles and blood during exercise. When it comes to short-term exercise activities, fatigue is usually brought on by the depletion of the high-energy phosphates that are involved in the muscle reaction, whereas for the endurance athlete, Fatigue is associated more with the depletion of glycogen stores rather than the high-energy phosphates. The depletion of glycogen is part of the reason why you have heard marathon runners describe hitting the wall and being completely exhausted. So what are some of the take-home points from today's discussion? Well... As far as exercise is concerned, it has a great benefit to our cardiovascular system. It will assist in enlarging the cardiac muscle fibers, which improves the contractility and force that our heart uses to propel blood and give us our cardiac output. As far as our lungs are concerned, we're able to increase our oxygen utilization capacity, or VO2 max, which is a measure of our general state of physical fitness. As far as our metabolism, 
the exercise will increase the size and number of mitochondria and muscle cells, which in turn will aid in an increased capacity to store glycogen. And as far as the metabolism is concerned, you can increase your lactate threshold and decrease your lactate levels. Lastly, as far as the muscles are concerned, they become more tolerant and enduring with a variety of exercises such as endurance training or resistance training or high-intensity interval training. Another point from this discussion is that to achieve the full benefits of exercise, an activity should be done for 40 minutes, four days a week. It doesn't always have to be the same exercise four days a week. You could vary it. You could lift weights one day of the week. You could run another day of the week. You can ride a bicycle a third day of the week. But mix it up. And if possible, try to do one week activity with another person or other persons just to mix it up for fun and interest. Lastly, it's important to pay attention to the intensity of your exercise workout and avoid overexerting yourself. Always do a brief cool down at the end of each exercise session. If this particular topic or any of the previous episodes have provoked questions for you, be reassured that I do regular Q&As on my Instagram account at jrbrownmd, where you may submit your questions there through direct messaging. However, I emphasize that I do not serve as a replacement or substitute for your own personal physicians, nor do I provide individualized consultations outside of my practice. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank my podcast team, Lauren and Natalie, who really are responsible for making this podcast possible. I also strongly encourage any listeners out there who haven't registered to vote yet, please do so this week. The new healthcare model for America depends on the vote you cast on November the 3rd. Until our next opportunity, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be loved, and may you have a peaceful heart. Thank you.